are you getting on? You're very welcome to the Sober Mess podcast and I hope you're having a nice gentle day. So today I'm joined by one of my absolute icons. He's a heavyweight champ when it comes to self-development and he's a black belt when it comes to mental health awareness. He's an author, speaker, podcaster who went from his initial fitness business of five clients on a beach to 20,000 global clients through online programs. He's helped thousands around the world with workshops, seminars, and boot camps, particularly around stress management, negative self-talk, and communication. He's the second best thing to come out of Galway after Supermax. So, <laughs> ladies and gents, I somehow managed to convince Pat Dively to come on to my podcast. So, Pat, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I appreciate that intro. That was great. I thought you were going to say black. I thought you were going to say black belt in jiu-jitsu. I was going to say money a purple belt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the jiu-jitsu was great because I listened to Joe Rogan a good bit, and he is always selling jiu-jitsu like it's like a really. As soon as this lockdown is over, I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it's one of those. I think uh, a lot of these things that we're turning to now, with like sea swimming and. Just a lot of the changes we're seeing going back to nature. It's all to fulfill upon needs that we've got. And I think jujitsu fulfills upon a lot of needs in terms of community and tribe and competitiveness and physical. Yeah. It ticks a lot of boxes without you even realizing. So I would recommend. Yeah, yeah it's great, isn't it? And it's, it's, not, it's not as aggressive like either. Like, you know, it's kind of more, you know, it's more strategy. You know, it's like a game of chess. You're like, what, what, do, what move do I need to make next? Yeah, and good for the ego. You can kind of you can be at that for years, and you'll go in and you'll feel like a complete beginner. You might have a big rugby player comes in, and uh, just throws you about the place, even though they've never trained before. And then equally, you might come in the next day, and it's good because you learn not to compete with other people, but just kind of see other yeah. people that's helping you sharpen the tools. You know, that's mad. So all the coaches are in there. Here, Pat, you stop picking on all them big lads in there. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish, man, I wish that was the case. Yeah, <laughs> that's gas. But no, Pat, come here. It's it's an absolute pleasure to get you to come on to the podcast. Like you've no idea. And I want to tell you a story. I wasn't gonna say this because I didn't want to come across as a fanboy, but I was telling my sister this and uh, she just thought it was mad and she said I could tell should tell you. And so anyway, when when I first uh, started this podcast, I, I would have wrote a goals list back in March, you know, I just found myself lacking purpose and the mental health wouldn't have been the best. So someone recommended I write a goals list and one of them things was to do a podcast and um and every week I was like, I'll start now, I'll start now, I never did. And then June came around, and I remember going down to 44 for a dip, and uh, I met a guy when I, while I was in the war, and I, I've never seen him before, and I've never seen him since, but I remember having this chat with him, and I, somehow we just talk, started talking about well, this goals list, and one of them's a podcast, and he just said, like, well, you have to ask yourself, is it going to be one day, or is today going to be day one? So one day or day one. And I just found that really motivating. So that day on the way home, I was like, where can I buy headphones to start this podcast? I ended up going into deals, uh, buying a pair of headphones for like 150 going home and just plugging, downloading a, a podcast app free on the phone and just start talking. And I started the podcast from there. And my sister was saying, no, you should write like a, um, a vision board. You should write a vision board where you want, like how to measure the success of the podcast, where you want it to go. And I was writing like all these goals down and, one of them was like, I want to get at least 10,000 downloads and some of the guests that I want to have on and like my top two guests that I want and I wrote that. I can send you a picture. Like I wrote this back in June and two of my top guests was like Pat Ively and Russell Brand. So like, it's, <laughs> wow. like man, I'm a bit, yeah, but I'm, like, I'm a big believer in like the law of attraction. Like I was able to write down that, that vision board, like, you know, and uh, then I would say, now I have you on the podcast. Like it's mad how these things happen. Like, 
Deadly, man. Thank you. It's all intention, isn't it? I mean, that's, I was talking to one of my groups about that this week that like, we just fall into patterns and habits and routines and that's all good and everything else. But I set a challenge to one of my men's group this week that either with date night with their partner or with the workout that they're doing to treat it with intention. So like we go through a couple of workouts a week in general, most of us, or we train in some capacity, but it's a different ball game when you say this one's going to be different and you decide like this, I'm intentional now, I'm going to, or with your partner, like I'm going to be 20%, 10% more present. I'm going to be hundred percent more engaged. I'm going to completely be here now. And I think what you, what you've done and what anyone's doing when they write down goals is just getting intentional. Like there's a lot happening outside of ourselves and just getting your stuff on paper helps you to kind of filter out what's important to you. Um, so yeah, man, I'm happy to be alongside Russell there. I contacted, yeah. him. I, I contacted him recently. He's one of my dream guests, but I got to no, no. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, no, that, that's mad. But now, one one thing I wanted to know, like, you 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 support a lot of people, you know, um, particularly around the men's groups, you know, with the, with the base camp, you know. But my question, like, would be like, who who supports you, like, and and do you ever like find it draining to be constantly switched on and have to constantly like have this front to to to, to help and support so many people? that would that would depend on kind of your workshops and your, your boot camps um I, I i always have a therapist or a coach that i work with consistently um and i'm also a member of other men's groups where i'm not the boss man uh, and then i'm in other mixed groups so i'm in a couple of spaces where i can kind of talk openly and that's the most important thing to me is we all need a place where we can go and we can put our emotions on the table, put our struggles on the table and not be judged or not try have someone fix us, just be heard. Um, so that's definitely become an important part of my self-care over the last couple of years. I would say when I first got into this stuff, I used to be a lot more fatigued and exhausted by it. And I had massive expectations on myself in terms of wanting to save the world. And um, the other thing when I started out was I wanted everyone to like me. Um, yeah. And that's quite an exhausting place to come from because you're stood in front of a room full of people and you're saying, well, I wonder what they want me to say. And I used to be exhausted after going through that because I was trying to win people's approval all the time. And when I kind of switched it and I said, look, I am who I am. There's only so much I can share here. Um, and I just kind of lowered the expectation on myself and also copped onto myself. Like I had to realize, you know, <laughs> I was kind of playing God thinking I was going to save anyone. Like no one's coming yeah. to no one's coming to save any of us. They're just putting some ideas on the table. And when you're ready, you pick up an idea. And it's the same with me and my coaches. None of them saved me. Um, they just presented some ideas that resonated. I took them and I went with them. So I suppose to answer your question, um, I don't feel a huge amount of pressure. It's like any other job. I, I get tired and burnt out a little bit sometimes and have to take care of myself. But generally, you know, the thing, the jujitsu, the sea swimming, the going to therapy, the all these little things help to... Uh, keep the stress at bay yeah that's that's powerful and, and it is so true like you can only you know you can only like plant seeds you can't fix anyone and, and straight away that's the thing that I, I, I used to do that even like a friend was telling me something i couldn't listen like straight away they tell me the first sentence and i'm already trying to fix them yeah you know what you ought to be do you know what you ought to do you know rather than just listen to them because a lot of time people already know the answer but they're just not ready to take the steps towards the solution like, you know and just to have the ability just to listen and, and be present and be available and i found when i got better at me listening you know more, more people i suppose started to engage with me and I, I wasn't responsible for other people as well like you know and a, a lot of the time particularly around family and people close to us straight away we're worried when they're struggling and we think we're responsible for how they feel and we want to jump in and fix them 
you know and to just to be able to kind of as you said you're not responsible you know to be able to just be listen but be able to take care of your your self-care you know because you can't pour from an empty glass yeah and i think you know there's a couple of things on that it was only recently uh i was kind of talking to a friend and she was struggling with something and Usually I would have been the fixer. I would have come into, you know, problem solving mode, but I just kind of didn't know what to say. And I just held space for a while. And she said to me afterwards, she goes, it was so nice to be listened to. No one's ever listened to me like that. And this penny dropped for me where it was like, I've always felt the need to fix because that's how I feel I'm good enough. So it was almost, it was this empowering um, lesson that she gave me that just holding space for her was enough. And I think that's, that's probably one for us all. You know, we don't have to do things or fix people or change people or offer anything in particular to hold value. It's enough just to, you know, support people and it's more than enough just to support people. So that was a big light bulb for me. And again, it's only come with time. And I think the last 10 months or whatever it's been with COVID has really taught me that because again, when I used to do seminars and talks and coaching, I kind of went in with a plan. And so it was a plan from my perspective as opposed to the audience's perspective. And now it's just this living thing where I'll do an eight hour workshop online and whatever comes up, comes up. And um, that's listening, I suppose, and responding to what's been said as opposed to going in with a, a plan, you know. What what advice would you give to someone? Say if you have a friend and, you know, they're just one of these people that are constantly living in a problem. Like, and they, they don't, you you listen to them and they can, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll vent their, their issue or the problem to you, but they never actually take any steps and they, they, they've the same problem for like months down the line and you you'd find it quite draining listening to that and and, and them never taking any action like what advice would you give in terms of self-care to like set boundaries there um that's a difficult one um one thing that i i'm big on that uh, is a big perspective shift for people is people can be quick to say i've got a lot of negative people around me i've got a lot of critical people around me uh, i often get messages from people that say i'm doing all this work but the people around me aren't changing and, and they're, they're always negative. And what I kind of prompt people to think about is nobody's negative and nobody's positive. We all just have different values. And so right now, myself or yourself, might value again, the sea swim and stuff, the personal development work, the meditation, we might value uh, coming together as community without alcohol. Um, and other people don't value those things. Doesn't mean they're negative, it just means they've got a different value system. And so maybe their value system is going to the pub or it's, um, it could be gossip, it could be a million different things. But when you start seeing the world that little bit differently and you start seeing, okay, my dad's got a different set of values to me. Doesn't make him right or wrong, doesn't make me right or wrong. It just means we see the world differently. Then I can start communicating through their value system as opposed to just my own. So rather than try to change them and bend them and, and force them into my mold and my picture of the world, I start to expand the perspective by recognizing and understanding their uh, viewpoint of the world. So I might start seeing, here's someone that doesn't have community. And so maybe the way they gain connection and they feel connection is to come and complain about their problems. Because when com people come and complain about their problems, uh, you know, they get approval or they get uh, love, what they think is love and connection. So I think that can be important. I mean, from the boundaries perspective, it's just, it could be a simple thing of saying, look, I'm just not available for this right now. I've got a lot of my own stuff going on. Um, I don't really have the answers to your, your, your current challenge. I have my own ideas, but they're from my own perspective. And maybe then they ask, you know, could you share your perspective? Um, that's a difficult one though. Uh, you know, and everyone does have different values. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you ask someone what, uh, 
you know what what's results for them like someone that's mad into intellect or doing studies their results is their exams or you know the, how much they know about a certain subject if you ask someone into fitness their results it could be the, the size of their arms you know or someone into who's into athletics it could be how fast they're running like everyone uh, is on like a different path of different values as well like not everyone has the same values when it comes to results and performance i i saw a quote this morning it's it's not coming to me directly but it was something to the effect of um if my friend is happily asleep, then let them sleep. Stop trying to wake them up. So if someone's happy with where they are and things haven't got bad enough for them to change yet, then just kind of let them do their thing as long as it's not interfering with you or you don't see themselves doing themselves a lot of harm. Um, and the, the other thing I suppose yeah. that com comes to mind on that, I have a mentor, Jeff Thompson, who's just an incredible guy. And I asked him about kind of, you know, we're, we're always projecting our own stuff onto other people because it's difficult to look at your own stuff. So the world has this funny way of putting it in front of you. So if you're a judgmental person, but you can't face that, you'll keep meeting judgmental people in your life. And it's a mirror just mirroring mm. back to you. And I asked him, like, when when is that inner work done? When are you finished with, like, putting your judgments onto other people? And when is it their fault? And he says, it's never their fault. You have to keep cleaning your own stuff. So, again, the stuff that <laughs> oftentimes the, the advice we're given is the very advice that we need and we just need to double down on it and as you say be the leader as opposed to you know, trying to save the world yeah i love that and i remember hearing the story of this guy you know he uh he had he had a mentor i think it was a life coach and uh he had this really he had a big fight with his boss and he went home and he was talking to his life coach and he told him what happened and and you know the boss said this and said that and that, and, and, the, and the life coach was, you you're in the wrong there he goes what you're in the wrong he goes you need to you need to go in and say sorry to your boss you know you you shouldn't have done that and he's like i have to go in and say sorry he said go in and say sorry to him so he went in and said sorry and then a week later they got into another big argument with the boss and blah blah, blah. and uh, he went home and told his life coach a story and he said yeah the boss did this so he said that and he said, Jesus, you know, your, your boss is banging out of order. He shouldn't, have, he shouldn't have done that. You know, you, you, you're clearly in the right. And he's like, so will I go in and tell my boss, say sorry? He says, no, you need to forgive him. He's like, what? Forgive him, you know? And he said, the main thing is that peace, is peace of mind. And if you're going, you know, he owes me a sorry, you know, you're not going to be at peace, you know? But if you're able to say, look, I let him off the hook, you know, you'll, you'll sleep better at night. And that's the thing, you know, I think it's like, if you're going to bed with peace of mind, then that's that's success for me. Well, for me personally, like you know, um, rather than saying, "Oh, they, they're wrong," or they, they they should be doing that, and you know, another my dad used to always say, you know, the the man that can mind his own business sleeps the best that night. Like, yeah, and the old lads sometimes have the good, uh, the good stuff without the self-confidence. Yeah, hundred percent. I've heard a few of your, uh, you know, you you're doing a few, um, doing a few speaker workshops, and the, some of the wisdom that your dad came out with, like, I, you know, <laughs> you, you sound like you had a really, re really good relationship with your dad, like. Oh, we broke each other's hearts for most of my life. It's only recent years that I've kind of seen again um, that expectations piece, right? So we've all got expectations on other people about how they should be. And we get stressed when they don't show up the way we think they should. So I think for years yeah. I had expectations of my dad as to how he should be. And he had expectations on me as to how I should be. And again, we failed to see each other's values. We just kind of tried to mold the other person to fit our viewpoint of the world. So it's only the last couple of years I think we've kind of come to come to understand each other and, and kind of um, now I've really reflected on a lot of the stuff that he told me. And it's it's one of those, I think you, you get great advice when you're younger, but you don't put it into practice. And probably the yeah. same thing. He, prob he probably spent years telling me what to do uh, as opposed to trying to understand me by asking questions. And so 
Um, it's all the same stuff, I think, time and time again, come around. But very fortunate to, to have him as um, he's just a rock of sense. You know, he's, he's he keeps yeah. it simple. He's humble. He's honest. He's quiet. He um, I'm sure he was frustrated for years watching me run around the place trying to figure myself out. And you can understand that what that would be like as a father. But no, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. I remember my dad telling me this best bit of wisdom. You know, he said, when you're in your 20s, all you do is worry about what people think about you. Then when you hit 40, you don't give a crap what people think about you. But yeah. then you hit 60 and you realise no one's ever been fucking thinking about you, like, you know, and uh, it's so true. And it's mad that you talk about that, like, uh, on your journey and you kind of you wouldn't see eye to eye. But then when you go through on that big, long journey, you just realise the, the simple things, like being able to maintain them, them relationships with family and the people that's that's close to us like you know and always a similar thing you know was chasing the big promotions of the fast cars and you know then when i found that didn't fill the void or that didn't make me happy you know it's the simple things like being able to connect with family you know being able to have these close relationships and being able to get in the sea and you know just keep my life as, as simple as possible like yeah there's a there's a big thing um i've been kind of had had at the front of my mind recently it's this idea of do my goals come from a place of wounding or a place of worth? And what I mean by that is yeah, yeah. if I don't think I'm good enough, then I'll chase things outside of myself to fill the wound, thinking it's going to fulfill upon the wound that I've got. So, you know, if I'm bullied as a kid and I think I don't fit in, then I can chase the moon and the stars trying to make people win my, or try to win people's approval. But when you come from that place of wounding, nothing ever is enough because you started not yeah. enough and now you've just accumulated more. Whereas if you come from a place of worth and you've got this kind of outlook that I'm good enough as I am, uh, now I can go and chase the things I actually want, not to impress anyone else. So the reason I bring that up, I suppose, is a lot of the things my dad would have encouraged me to do when I was younger would have come from that place of worth. It would have been if you were good enough, you don't need a lot in your life. Whereas I was in that place of I'm not good enough. And so I thought I needed the world and Again, it's hard to put it across to people that you can go and achieve everything you ever wanted and still be unhappy. But that, that was my experience, so that's all I can, I can say. Yeah, is that, it's yeah. it's yeah. so true, though, isn't it? And it's, I suppose when we're we're functioning on that low self-esteem and that we're lacking, we're just trying to fill that void with anything we can, anything external to try fix the internal. You know, what we see like it, it's an inside job. It's like it's just smoke coming out of the engine. You'd go and bring the car for the car wash, like you know, it's like trying to chase all these things on the outside you know and when you're kind of doing it for the as you said out of place when you're you feel worthy and you feel you're enough like even with this podcast like my, when i first started and my head was wrecked was i was trying to get like i was measuring the success of it bloody blah but what i didn't know was what but then when i realized that i'm doing this as a my creative outlet and the benefit that it's happening and if it can help one other person well then that's great and my, my mindset totally changed and now i actually enjoy it because i'm doing it out of joy and not out of expectation mm. you know and i think if you look at anyone that we admire i mean we've all got different people we we look up to but if you think about different athletes or musicians or actors or business people or philanthropists anyone that's kind of doing amazing things and just looks like they're in integrity I think what you'll see with them is, again, they're coming from that place of worth. They're not trying to prove themselves to other people. It's not like you got guys like Leone Messi or Ed Sheeran that as kids had to force themselves to have a certain routine. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do this for an hour and I'm going to... It was something they loved to do. They just did what they loved to do and lost themselves in the love of what they did. And so all of a sudden, now they get... It's, it's kind of a paradox because now they're seeing the external things that, you know... Um, 
the flip side of the coin is I could, I could be chasing things I hate doing and get all the external things, but still be unhappy because, yeah. as you say, it comes from within. Uh, Russell Brandt has a quote that says, um, you'll never find a material solution to a spiritual problem. Uh, I love that. Mm, and so, like, what are our... Yeah. What are the problems of the modern world? Well, it's disconnection from ourselves, disconnection from nature, it's disconnection from others, it's yeah. living too much in our heads. Um, so yeah. yeah. But you, you think, like, if you said to someone now, you, you're lacking connection, you need to get connection. When I, the first thing that they think of in connection is, oh, I need to go onto WhatsApp, I need to go onto Instagram, Facebook, you know, we'll check my emails, because straight away you're thinking social, you're thinking connection, you're thinking, like, this is all that's available in terms of connection, you know, and... Then when I'm like when I when I'm getting bogged down, you know, I'm on so I'm on social media, my head's wrecked. But then when I find if we just go out for a walk or even sit out on the balcony and just listen to the birds singing and just establish that connection, I always feel so much better, you know, just catering for like my primal and natural needs, like you know. And you you said there as well, you know, I love that quote from Russell Brand, you know, and a lot of time it is that that we're rather than catering for, I suppose inner needs or spiritual needs you know we can chase a lot of things for our ego and Edgar Tall talks about it an ego is never satisfied that it only knows want it doesn't understand have that no matter what you get your ego you'll never be satisfied like if you want the Porsche or the Lamborghini you'll get that and then you'll be thinking oh, maybe I got the wrong colour Lamborghini this one doesn't suit me and then you get the Porsche and you know so you're, you're, you just know a state of chase or the destination um addiction you're just constantly on the journey of getting the nice shiny thing in the distance but you're never quite satisfied you know and it can be just a non-stop chase for happiness in the future or conditional happiness like yeah and i think a lot of the impulsive things that we do the compulsive things that we do the addictive things that we do are really efforts to escape the voices in our head and the emotions and feelings in our body and the reality is you can't escape those things when we talk about connection connection can be just starting with yourself and closing your eyes and saying what are the voices what are what are they saying because for me there's multiple voices i would say there's a voice that tells me i can take on the world and i'm a legend and then there's a voice that tells me I should just stay in bed and watch some reality TV. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I think it's important to like, with again, talking about connection, it doesn't have to be outside of myself. It can be starting to make sense of these different voices. Okay. Okay. What am I saying to myself today? Where's, where did that come from? Um, because again, I've spoke with Josh Connolly recently, who I know is a friend of yours as well. And, and we were talking about kind of morning routines of sitting down, recognizing, okay, sometimes I wake up with this voice that tells me I'm not good enough. Where did that come from? Because there's an origin of that voice. Like it didn't just dis- appear that morning. It's come from somewhere. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you're not willing to look at that stuff internally, you will chase externally. And again, you're running away from the the magic and running away from um, the gold, I suppose. Yeah. What, what advice would you give to someone that like to kind of to challenge those inner thoughts or those inner dialogues or the patterns or the core beliefs that we have and we've lived on and the routines that we've depended on? How do you like change them and challenge them? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. There's there's a million different ways you can go. I say it's difficult. It's not difficult. It's just um, my starting point would be probably the first thing I would encourage people to look at is there's always two triggers. That means there's an external trigger and then an internal trigger. So in any experience, there's two. So if I walk to my local shop and I wave to a neighbor and they don't wave back, that's the external trigger. So that's what happened. 
And then the internal trigger, the meaning that I give to that. So some of us forget that we're giving meanings to everything that happens. So I wave to a neighbor, they don't wave back. That in itself is a neutral event that shouldn't be a source of stress because it doesn't mean anything. If someone was looking in from the outside, they're not going to get emotionally triggered by that. But yeah. we give we give it meaning. So the second trigger, what meaning do I give to that? Okay, that person doesn't respect me. Now I start feeling stressed. So that would be one thing you could start doing is just recognizing these triggers. Um, okay, I slept in. Sleeping in is not a big deal in itself, but the meaning I give to it is. So maybe the meaning I give to it is I never stay consistent with anything. I never get up at the time and I start shaming myself. So if I can start creating that little bit of a gap, that's a nice starting point with the thoughts. And then you might consider, well, where did that belief come from? So again, if mm -hmm. I say... Um, I go out and I've promised myself I'm not going to drink alcohol and then I drink alcohol. The trigger is I drank alcohol. The story I tell myself is I never stay consistent with anything. And then I started thinking about what are the origins of that story? Like when have I believed that in the past and how has it impacted me? And then if I was going to go further than that, I mean, there's a million things you could do. You could go back to your younger experiences of your youth and start looking at, well, what meanings did I give to those things? So like I was bullied as a kid um, because I was the youngest in the class. It seems such a silly thing, but as a kid, it, it matters. And so what meaning did I give that? I gave that the meaning that I don't fit in and I'm a, I'm, I'm a lone shark and I carried that with me for years. What other meaning might that have had? So that's a good question mm -hmm. to ask. What else might that mean? And then the third really practical thing that people could consider looking at is I call them power questions. And the idea behind that is we're asking ourselves questions all the time in our heads, but oftentimes they're disempowering questions. Why do I never stay consistent? Why can't I be happy? Uh, why can't I get in shape? And you ask any question, you'll get you'll get answers from the subconscious. So if I can ask better questions, I'll get better answers. So if I can start my day with what am I grateful for? What are my priorities? What am I excited for today? Who do I want to reach out to and acknowledge today? What feeling do I want to create today? What's one thing I can do to create that feeling? Suddenly I'm giving my mind that little bit of direction. So if I can leave my phone off for 10 minutes in the morning, ask myself a couple of empowering questions and they could be specific to you, like for mm -hmm. yourself, for yourself, Colm, if the podcast is a huge priority every morning, my question might be, what's one thing I can do to improve the quality of the podcast today? And you can imagine over 30 days when you start listening to those new stories, uh, everything changes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um... Yeah, 100%. I had to get Pat Dively to start hosting and I think that would probably make it a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, no. I'm, sure, I'm sure you're doing a great job. Of <laughs> no, no, that's mad. And the, like, with the amount of people that are turning to like to live coaching and, and things like that and just the, the like challenging these core, our core beliefs and our thought processes and our, our negative narratives that we can have in our minds, do you think that it will be a case where they'll start implementing things into the primary skills to kind of challenge you know, kind of the, the, around like meditation or uh, having a look at our feelings and mental health and, you know, conflict resolutions and all these sort of things that we can I suppose start from childhood, you know, because a lot of time when we are reaching out to psychologists or life coaches or whatever it may be, it, it, you know, whatever, tra it's, it's trying to, I suppose, fix a lot of traumas from our, our childhood, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not close enough to the ground to know exactly what's happening across the country, but I do know a lot of teachers that just take an interest in this stuff. I've got loads of teachers that play episodes of my podcast and then they have discussions around it once a week of other teachers that take the journaling practices and meditation practices and they take it upon themselves. So I think a lot of it will come down to the teacher like anything else. There's some teachers are going to be inspired and excited by this. Other teachers are going to think it's a lot of waffle. So 
there is that element until it becomes you know i've got a friend in australia who's currently working on putting together some resilience programs for primary school kids and she was talking about some of the resources they've got there which were pretty cool so i think it's starting to shift but again i think um well, you know i think this COVID thing has, has awoken people to mm-hmm. just the importance of you know you can't travel you can't run away from your stuff anymore you've got to kind of sit with it and how do we navigate this and Again, I reference Josh Connolly. He's got that great kind of idea around resilience. The true resilience is my capacity to be with all of my emotions. And um, again, you know, teaching that to kids. Um, I yeah, I think it's a case by case basis, but I think it's going yeah. in the right direction. Yeah, I love that, and then just the ability to kind of sit with your emotions and sit with yourself. You know, because a lot of time we can struggle just to sit with us and who 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 are who 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 am I like? You know, and. Uh, I think that one thing that the lockdown has taught us is that like there's a lot more just simple things right right at our fingertips. You know what I mean? That we don't need to be going on these mad, you know, artificial or superficial adventures. Like you know, it's just it's just being able to sit with ourselves and like ourselves and accept ourselves and, and getting to know ourselves. Like and I suppose the year that old cliche, you know, the biggest journey you'll ever make is from the one from your head to your heart. Like and the, you know, the the ability to be able to, to be actually like who you are and sit with yourself because. There's a long for a long time like I struggled with that for years, you know, just I didn't like hanging out with Colum, you know, I didn't like who he was. And I needed to constantly be distracted and stimulated, to constantly be around friends or on the go or just ad- addicted to being busy, addicted to being distracted, you know. Couldn't even sit down and watch TV or read a book, you know. If I sat in one seat, I'd be looking at the other seat going, I should be sitting over there, like, you know. <laughs> I was always in the wrong place at the wrong time, the wrong people. And uh, it was only when I actually started to kind of realize I was a good guy and I liked the way he was that I actually enjoyed hanging out with me. And like now today, I probably I enjoy my own company probably a bit too much, you know, and kind of introvert, extrovert, like. And um, you know, but that that took a that took time to kind of get to that stage, though, you know. Yeah, and that's back to you know we talk about the meanings we give. So the two triggers, um, we we experience something and then we give it a meaning so for a lot of us we experience loneliness and then the meaning comes up so we say well i'm not supposed to be lonely or it's bad to be lonely or i shouldn't be lonely and we act on that rather than kind of getting curious what else could this mean this could mean i need to find a social that was a big thing for me particularly over the last year is going from someone who's very much in their head to someone who starts to get better at kind of navigating these emotions and again loneliness would come up frequently um, what does this mean? Because what happens is if we're not aware of our feelings and we don't give some kind of, well, we've got to put names on our feelings. I think that's important. You got to name it to feel it and feel it to heal it, they'll say. Um, so mm. I start by putting names. And my big thing then is I match the feeling to an unmet need. So I don't make the feeling good or bad. I just say when I experience a difficult emotion or a feeling, it's the case of uh, one of my needs is not being met. So if I feel anxiety, maybe it's my need for certainty. And then I ask myself, well, how could I develop a little bit more certainty? It's not clicking the fingers and everything's perfect, but I know that if I sit for five minutes and I slow my breath, that gives me a little bit more certainty. So that's my action. Whereas if I can't name the feeling and I don't know what my unmet need is, I'll tend to go to escapism and make myself feel worse. I'll self-abandon rather than come back to self-care. That's powerful. Yeah, I love that. And like, Pat, for you, like, what what do you think was the like the turning point in your career? Like, you know, you, I know you went from like the fitness coaching and then you know on to more doing kind of more like life coaching type of stuff. You know, but what do you think was the, the the pinnacle point in your life that made you want to change right the direction you were going? There's kind of been two, you know, big shifts. One was when I was 24, I failed with a business in Dublin, or 23 even, 
and they came home on Christmas Eve and I was I was very depressed. I, I found myself down at the docks one night in Dublin at three in the morning, just staring into the water and thinking this is game over for me because I've nothing left to offer. And I was in a really dark place for a long time. And when I moved back home to Galway, I started this business and I went from someone that was, again, had these big lofty goals, was trying to change the world and failed to someone who just wanted to kind of get out of the house and teach some classes. And ironically, when I lowered the expectation, I just did it for the sake of doing it. It grew. And so, as you say, I went from five clients to 20,000 and I wrote books. I opened a gym. I went on TV and radio. I did everything I thought would make me happy. And I got all this external validation. But when I was 28, kind of four years later, despite my whole external world having changed, I still felt empty and I felt vacant and I felt sad and I found myself at a psychiatrist um, and she was basically just saying you need to slow down and, and everyone had told me that but I was trying to outrun my feelings so I think at 28 that was the second so the first was the failure and pointing to everything outside of myself and saying that's why I'm not happy and then the second point was getting everything I thought would make me happy and then having the point back to myself and saying this is the only place I haven't looked um, and so the last five years has been more about meditation and journaling and self-care and uh, self-understanding and self-inquiry and all of that because again it's an old cliche but if you achieve all the things outside of yourself and still don't feel good the last place to look is is within and um, that's been my journey so far yeah, that's fair. I remember it, Jim Carrey came out with a quote and said he wished everyone could experience being rich and famous because you realize that won't make you happy either like well for um, me it was for me um there was always the I'll be happy when story. So yeah. initially it was I'll be happy when I open a gym and then it was I'll be happy when I bring out a book and then I'll be happy when I get in the late, late show. And every time I achieve something, there was a momentary feeling of oh, I made it. And then the next day you wake up and life goes on. So that's why they talk about the journey being so much more important than the destination, because if you're living for the destination, it's fleeting. And then you're kind of left feeling, what now? What next? And it can yeah. feel it can feel exhausting. And again, that's if I'm chasing things that aren't my own, if I'm chasing things to get my parents' approval or society's approval or whatever it is, that's going to be exhausting. I think Steve Jobs yeah. said something like, you know, whatever you build is going to be exhausting. It's going to take a huge amount of work. So make sure it's something you actually want to build. Um, yeah, I love that, yeah. yeah. And would you, like, would, given now you have a different mindset, you know, and obviously when you were 23, you had a completely different mindset. But would you look back to yourself when you were 23 years old, like having the ability to open and run a business, although it did fail, like you must be really proud of yourself to be 23 years old and like to have like the, the mindset to be able to run a business. Like that's that's an extremely mature thing to do. Like not 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 a lot of people open businesses, never mind at 23 years old. Like would you be would you be proud of the person you are when you were 23 to be able to do something like that? It's it's weird. It feels like a different person. Um, I almost treat every day like a new day, and it's hard to connect with who I was yesterday. But um, I I have a lot of compassion for my younger self because it was so hard on myself, and uh, I can only see that now. People at the time saw that. This, you know, I moved back in with my parents, and I thought I was a massive failure. And I would meet my parents' friends out when I was walking, and they'd say, "Tell me about what their kids were doing." And I just felt this shame. I was like. You know, my parents looked after me for years and here I was coming back in with my tail between my legs. So I can look back with compassion now and I can say, Jesus, Pat, things weren't that bad. And this again speaks to how how dangerous our, our thoughts can be when they're left unchallenged. Like I just had these thoughts run around my head of what a failure I was. And the thing with thoughts is your your thoughts, your thoughts are not the issue. It's the identification with your thoughts. Yeah. 
so I can I can have a thought come and go and that's fine but when I identify and I decide because I failed with something I'm a failure then it consumes me so um it, it is on minds and uh, like and it's my thing is it doesn't matter about our uh, external like what the things are it's all about how we attach and how we view the thing like like what successes are like you could be yourself there you know you think you're a failure because you have, you ran a business and it didn't work but then there's a guy that thinks he's a massive success because he completed a playstation game in a day like you know it's like the different extremes was how we attach our successes to them like and where, where do you think that uh you know that really high achieving mentality would have came from at such a young age uh, mine was purely um young ego uh and not in the Sometimes I think when people think of ego, they think of someone who's cocky or someone who's brash. But for me, it was just a young man that had never believed in himself. Um, bullied early on when I was young, young. And then I think as I got older, I did have friends, but I always had this kind of doubt in the back of my mind as to whether they actually liked me. I suppose imposter syndrome, if you will. And then I got older and I turned to alcohol and that was this social lubricant and social mask that I could wear. And when I left college, it was kind of like, well, geez, I still don't believe in myself. I still don't feel adequate. I still don't feel like I fit in. I better go and achieve things. And so that was my belief. If I achieve everything I ever wanted, other people will believe in me and eventually I'll believe in myself. And so yeah. I was going at it backward. Um, but the, the irony was when I built the business and, you know, started winning awards and, and doing a little bit of TV, all that stuff. It was like there was a magnifying glass on my insecurities, like everything I thought was going to make me feel good enough only made me feel like more of a fraud because I thought, you know, people are looking to me and thinking I'm successful, but geez, when I, when I look in the mirror, I, I still see the young scared boy that's not good enough. Uh, so yeah, for me, it was, it was stemmed from again, the wounding of not being good enough as opposed to the worth of what am I excited to do? It's, it's mad though when you look at it, like that, I suppose that mentality would be the ingredients you need to run a successful business, like a winning kind of high achieving mentality, you know, but it can come back to bite you in terms of your mental health that you aren't, if you aren't high achieving uh, or you haven't got the successes that you set out for yourself, you know what I mean? I remember, I think actually you, you've recommended this podcast, one with Johnny Wilkinson. And I was listening to that a few weeks ago, and he talked about the same thing, that he had this mad winning mentality that even when he won the World Cup, the buzz only lasted a couple of seconds and then it faded away, and he was looking at the next buzz or the next high. But And he said that although this mentality did mean that he was as good as he was because of it, that same mentality came back to bite him because it led to really bad uh, mental health down the line. Mm. Look, it all points back to the same thing as we said with communication or we said with our goals ago. All stress in life is a picture in my head about how it's supposed to be and the world not looking that way. So for me at 24, I had a picture of what a 24 year old fitness trainer should look like and should act like and the achievements they should have. For some reason, my, my story about success then was if I was successful, I'd have a gym. If I was successful, I'd have 100 clients. And so your stress in life is the disconnect between your story of what should be and what actually is happening. So if I'm 10 stone overweight and I think I should have a six pack, there's a huge disconnect there between reality and my expectation. And yeah. so, as I say, when my second business succeeded, it was because my reality was I had no clients and my focus was can I get one client and I got my first client versus Dublin where my reality was I had no clients and I wanted a hundred. That's that yeah. disconnect. Uh, and Johnny, Wil Johnny Wilkinson, what I took from that conversation was 
when he started playing at 18, he stepped into the dressing room and he looks around him and all his heroes are playing alongside him and he's just thinking, wow, what a privilege to get to do this. And then as he got better and better and the expectations as to who he needed to be got bigger and bigger, suddenly it's not fun anymore because I have to achieve certain results for acceptance of myself and others. Um, and I think he said he could only be with himself when he was playing the game on a Sunday because the rest of the week was spent worrying about how it's supposed to look. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I lo- what I loved what he said about that, though, as well, that he loved when he was just in the present, you know, when he played, there was nothing else going on. It was just like a state of, of, of awe, like, you know what I mean? And you didn't see, like, with kids, like, in, in the playground, they're just in the moment. They're not thinking what's happening outside the playground, not worrying about what's, what, how we're going to pay that bill later on or what we're going to do about that thing next week or last week. They're just in the moment, you know, just a sense sense of joy and just being more being more present and that's one thing that really helped. like even for me getting into the sea or going for a run you know these are things that just bring me back to the, the present moment and i guess such a sense of joy and just being able to switch off and even around the meditation and things like that you know to to rediscover that thing to, to get a, something to, get, to just bring me in, in, intensely into the present moment mm, and again when you talk about kids there Kids don't play sport to win or to lose. They just play sport yeah. to play sport. Uh, kids don't. If you watch a kid when they're two or three years old in the middle of the sitting room singing and dancing for everyone, they're not really doing it for everyone. They're just doing it because they want to do it. And then they start either getting praise for what they do or they start getting disapproval for what they do and start they start kind of shaping, this is who I need to be to get love. So, so if my father loves hurling, I need to play hurling. That's how I get love. Even if I don't love it, you, you kind of start... Uh, sacrifice that's you know Gabor Mate talks about this that we come into the world authentic and we've got a unique kind of expression that we can bring into the world but then over time we start putting these labels and judgments on ourselves that okay people don't like being around me when I'm sad so I shouldn't be sad okay people seem to like when I sing so I should be a singer even though I don't like it and suddenly you wake up 18 19 20 you're like Jesus I've lost myself a little bit here you're still there yeah. but it's, it's beyond, beyond the judgments it's mad, isn't it? And you can fall into this trap. You're constantly wearing a mask. Like I lost my identity for years because I didn't know who I was. You know, you go around to different groups of friends, and you're the happy-go-lucky, or you were the tough guy, or you were the football expert, and you were just everyone but column. Like you know what I mean? You could never actually be me. Like you know, and uh, just coming back and 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 being able to kind of rediscover your likes and your interests. Like, I remember even on I had a like a spot. I had two Spotify playlists. Like one had be all like full of like dance music and test and and techno so when it's collecting the lads that play the song so they that's what i think in my head they probably think i'm really cool because this is my playlist but then when it was on my own like i had a really old school even when i was younger a real old school taste of music like i loved Jimi hendrix and pink floyd and and the beatles and the doors and this was my own little playlist i was afraid for people to listen to that in case it was judged for my own for my own preferences and my own likes like you know that insanity yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, then there's the fear of like other people judging us about things, but really it's us judging ourselves. So like yeah. if the lads take the mick out of me for listening to certain music, what does that, what, what's the meaning I give to that about myself? Okay, yeah. I, make, I make that mean I'm not one of the lads anymore. That was my judgment as opposed to theirs. Um, yeah, and, and that's the thing. And we're, I think uh, with that, Ch- Charles Cooley says, oh, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who I think I am. I am who I think you you think I am. You know, so we're, we're constantly always trying to play someone that 
I think you want me to be. Or even when I'm talking, we talked at the start of the podcast about listening. You know, when I tell you something, I'm I'm telling you something because I'm trying to cater your response. You know what I mean? Um, rather than just being uh, what uh, authentic and what I want to tell you, I'm more worried. Oh, just what would Pat think of me? But I want to say I want to impress Pat. Like so, what I want to tell him, like needs to needs to. What does Pat like? I'm going to say something that he might like about me. Like. Yeah, um, I think, you know, that remains the biggest challenge I have still. I fall into that and it's probably a weird one, but there's the odd time I'll catch myself on Facebook where I'm about to share something, even just on my personal page. And I'll be like, it's almost like a branding expert, uh, branding exercise where you're like everything you're putting out on social media is, is you painting yourself to the world as to who you want, how you want to be seen. I know we're not thinking yeah. that way, but so I'll be like, OK, I'm going to share a video of the prodigy from Glastonbury in 96. <laughs> and, like, and then I'm like, you don't you don't think that way. But I start to, uh, I was about to post a video the other day. I'm like, why am I posting this? Is this because I want other people to enjoy this song or is this because people yeah. are like, wow, look at him. He's, he's so it's interesting exercise. Catch yourself for two weeks. What's what am I posting and why? What's what's the purpose here? What am I trying to convey? Yeah, it's uh, so true. And a lot of time, like, uh, we're just trying to impress people, like, you know, improve my self-worth, like, you know what I mean? And it was, it was crazy, like, but there is that thing, again, challenging, why, why are we doing that? What's the motivation here? What am I trying to prove to, to myself, like, you know? Yeah, and, and interesting, like, when you start asking that question, there could be times where you say, oh, I'm trying to get approval here. You might say, yeah fuck it, I'm going to do it. And, you know, it'd be nice to get yeah. some approval. And at least you know why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. St still, there'll be certain things I do and I'm like, okay, this is for other people to validate me. <laughs> it's just yeah. being aware, it's just being aware of that, I suppose. And um, not falling into autopilot where everything you do is a, is yeah. a cry, is a cry for love that you haven't kind of found in yourself. Yeah, it is, Dan. It is. It's an amazing journey when you can actually come to like who you are and find your identity, but it can be a painful journey as well. And I remember hearing this analogy for, it's like if you were to clear dust off a mirror and all this dust would blow into your eyes, um, but before it, you wouldn't be able to see yourself and then you, you wipe all the dust, it goes into your eyes or whatever, and the pain of that, but the, the, the positive is that you can slowly start to see yourself and see and see, see your values and, and start to see your identity, nice. you know? Sticking with your mirror analogy, again, I think Russell Brand possibly, but um, talks about if I've got um, if I've got a, a mark, say, let's say I've got a black mark on my face and I stare in the mirror and I start scrubbing the mirror, trying to get rid of the black mark. It's obviously not going anywhere because it's, it's my stuff. And in yeah. the same way, we, we've all got our own stuff that we're projecting into the world. So my story is about there's no good women out there. There's no good men out there. People are rude. People are mean. As long as I have those beliefs, it's like the mark in the mirror and I try to change or the mark on my face and I try to scrub the mirror. I try to change the world when in reality, I've just got to change my internal narrative and I've got to yeah. clean. It's just a filter, right? We're just seeing the word, world through a lens. And if the lens has dirt on it, every film is going to look the same. It's going to have dirt on it. Every experience is going to look the same. Um, but if I clean the lens, everything looks different. So you can kind of... Yeah quickly change things that way and as you talk about self-love i think the difficulty with the self-love is obviously a lot of what's been promoted over the years has been think positive and be positive and then all of a sudden when you don't think or feel positive you think you're doing something wrong so i think the yeah. new, defi new definition of self-love is more kind of like 
how can I make peace with all the parts of myself I don't always love? Because if you're going out with someone, you're not going to love everything about what they do, or you're not going to like everything about what they do, but you come to accept that there's different parts to this person and they're they're multifaceted and you, you love them for who they are and not for just who they are when, you, when they're, you know, doing everything you want them to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true, and it's mad. Like, it's I think I, I think it was another Russell Brand quote. Actually, <laughs> taking it, putting Russell Brand over job here. But uh, we don't think our ways into new ways of living. We live our ways into new ways of thinking. Like, you know, and uh, and that's the thing. Like that, um, you know, we, 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 and I think you use an analogy as well with the lens. And I think I don't know. I think it was you. It said like we, we when you're looking at a film, like all you're seeing is through the lens, but there's so much more going on. Like you know, there's the sound man, the extras, there's people behind yeah. the camera, rather than just focusing on the small picture. Like yeah, and if you think about, so most of our experiences, most of our experiences based on memories. Um, like the, I think 95% of the thoughts we have today are very similar to yesterday. And so we're living out patterns all the time and they're going unquestioned. So again, if mm. I have a negative experience with someone in my childhood uh, and I form a belief that people can't be trusted, I live out that pattern every day. And yeah. what I can do is consider that if I was to go back in time to that experience that caused me stress and I was to imagine there's a cameraman there and the cameraman is filming the situation, they've taken it from one angle. And so I've got this one angle that I've seen, but maybe I can take some different angles now so I can start looking at it and say, well, when I was bullied, that felt like the worst thing in the world. But the flip side of the coin is I met some really genuine friends. I got closer to my parents. I found a hobby that I really liked. There was gold in the, in the, in the dirt. And if I can find that gold in the dirt, it kind of, a lot of our fears about the future are just projections from the past. Like the person mm. who's afraid of public speaking has got a memory of something that went wrong where they put themselves out there. And if you can go back to the thing that went wrong and you can make peace with the thing that went wrong and find the goal that was there, suddenly your fears start to dissipate. You don't have the same judgments on yourself. You're not worried that, oh, if I mess this up, you know, my life is over. Because no, you messed loads of stuff up in the past and your life came good. Um, and that's just, yeah. again, clearing, yeah. clearing, clearing. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's like the one, if you, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. I, I give this, you know, again, probably a silly example, but um, if you imagine a kid that's not very good at football or thinks they're not very good at football, they tell themselves they're not good at football, which makes them feel sad. When they feel mm -hmm. sad, they don't practice. And when they don't practice, they don't get any better. But let's say one, one day uh, the kid who usually takes the penalties is injured. So the, the bad player steps up, they score a penalty they get a new result and suddenly their whole worldview changes. Now their belief is I am good at football, which makes them feel hopeful. When they feel hopeful, they practice. When they practice, they get new results. So a new experience can create a new result and that can change your story. Um, so there's different ways we can approach it. We can come and change our stories, which changes our feelings. And when our feelings change, we change our actions and then we get new results. Or we can change our actions before we're ready. So even though I'm scared to start a podcast, I start the podcast, I get some feedback, I take that feedback, and um, I need a whiteboard when I'm explaining this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Use the fridge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's mad. Yeah. And like, if, if someone else, say, wanted to get into what you're doing now at the moment, like, how would they go about that? Like, what advice would you give to them? And what were like some of the challenges that you face on the journey? Um, I'd say the big thing is like, make sure you really enjoy it. And it's not something that like the fitness thing got popular a few years ago and everyone became a fitness trainer. And there's a little bit of that now in the mindset. I would just make sure it's something you love. I mean, it's been my passion for years since I was in my teens. 
Um, it's what I read when I'm not working. It's how I live. It's it, I'm I'm obsessed by it. Um, that would be the main thing. Whatever you're going to do, just make sure you enjoy it. Um, make sure it's not something you're doing because it's in trend or because you're lacking clarity and you think it'd be an easy option or whatever it might be. Um, outside of that, it's just a case of, you know, a big thing for me is study and then journal. So read someone else's book, but then take out pen and paper and sort of reflect on your own um, yeah. perspectives. Like y you could read a book about Richard Branson and be inspired, but you get a lot more value from that book if you were to write down what five things that I learned from this and how do I apply them into my own life. Um, so none of us are probably going to be billionaires, doesn't mean we can't take some of the boldness or the the charitable aspects of Branson's personality and say, well, how do I put that in my life? So I think that's important. Sometimes people get on the personal development train and just get obsessed by learning. Um, you learn a lot more by reflecting on your own experience than you do on reading about other people's experience. Yeah, that's so true. So what what do you think is your life purpose? Um, I think sometimes when you look back, things kind of you know, again, Steve Jobs quote we're referencing Steve Jobs and Russell Brand all all podcast. He has something like, you know, the, the dots connect when you look back. You don't you can't see them going forward. But the common thread throughout my life has been bringing people together. That's the thing I'm most passionate about. Belief and belonging are my two words. So I started as the fitness guy and I used to do classes and I brought people together. I made them believe they could do things they didn't think and I made them a part of a community. And then I started hosting personal development retreats and then I started hosting men's groups. And I mean, I've never done any one to one because it's just not interesting to me. It's not something I'm ex excited or inspired to do. And so those two words, I just want people to feel connected to themselves and to other people. That's that's my purpose. And I, you know, I'm writing this book at the moment and there's a chapter on purpose. And I say, like, a lot of people get caught up in this grandiose no notion of, oh, my purpose needs to be impacting millions of people and this, that and the other. My purpose is just to enjoy what I'm doing and to listen to what's inside of me. There's a voice inside of me and I need to, need to consistently listen because there's times where, you know, my gym was at its most successful and the voice inside of me was saying, okay, this is not your thing anymore. Let's do something different. And walking away from that was difficult, but you have to kind of develop that confidence by listening to your voice. But your purpose starts today from wherever you are. Um, and that's, that's something people sometimes forget i think they think that when i achieve things then i'll find my purpose or when i read the next book i'll find my purpose we've all got a notion as to what we like to do at the moment and how we make a difference in people's lives and you go with that and i think six months from now i'll have a different purpose and two years from now i'll have a different purpose sorry i shouldn't say i'll have a different purpose i'll probably have the same purpose i'll just be doing it in a different way yeah i love that i love what you said about you know that voice on the inside because we do have that inner voice, you know, that we're in this intuitive voice, you know, and it's only when I actually got into like meditation and started to calm my mind down a bit that I actually started to hear that inner voice, you know, when we, when we started to slow down and, and it, you know, and get that direction that sometimes you are being guided, like, you know, and I think you obviously have an inner gift, you know, your ability to, you know, connect with people and have people like cooperate on such a large scale, like you were obviously, this was something you were, you were destined to do. The biggest thing I think, you know, you talk about the inner voice Um, the biggest thing for confidence, for certainty, for self-esteem that like if you're going to take nothing else from any podcast you hear this year, if you're going to do nothing else in terms of personal development for the rest of your life, I think if on a daily basis you were willing to sit, listen and act on what you hear, your confidence will go through the roof because we chip away at our confidence and our self-esteem. We get rid of it when we start saying yes to other people and no to ourselves, or we start saying yes to distraction and no to what we're passionate about. That's how you chip away at your, your confidence and self-esteem. 
Um, but to your point about this being what I was destined to do, um, I think so. But I also think there was a lot of obstacle. I, public speaking was my biggest fear in life. I was terrified teaching my first fitness class. Um, I question myself frequently in terms of should I be doing this? Am I good enough? Am I? So that all that stuff still lives there. I think again, sometimes people look to other people and they think, oh, there's no fear there or he's on purpose or she's on purpose. And I think all the other stuff is still there. It's just do I act? Mm, do I act on an old story about not being good enough or do I act on a story about my potential? And um, that's that's what I'm trying at least. Yeah, I love that, you know, and uh, you, you'd come across as someone that's like, you know, you, you, you're quite, you know, you're quite calm and I don't know if that, that that's like a, just a spiritual connection or just all the, the self-work that you have, but you'd definitely be someone that, you know, you, you, you'd want, like if I, I always go, if we see someone that want what they have and it, you, you just, you live a very, you have a very attractive demeanour in terms of, you know, you give off a sense of calmness, like, you know, so, I'm like it's like if you go into a gym and you you see the the guy in great shape, you're gonna want to take advice off him rather than the guy <laughs> that might be in good shape, like you know. And just I know a few times you've mentioned like around alcohol. Like, would you found that alcohol would have kind of impacted you in a negative way throughout your life? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a funny one with alcohol. There's such stigma around it that you could you could all people are very quick to say, oh well, I was drinking this much, but you know. But I, there's always a but and kind of a justification after the but. I'd say for me, you know, from the time I was 16 to probably 16 to 24, very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Just, you know, I used it for confidence. I used it to feel good enough, all that kind of thing. And then 24 to 28, when I was growing that business, I, I used it almost self-medication because I was dealing with anxiety. I was mm. dealing with overwhelm and stress. And again, I had no way of... I hadn't copped on to the fact that you can check in with how you feel and you can map it to unmet needs. This is a big part yeah. in this book that I'm doing. Like when I was 25, 26, I would be teaching 25 classes a week, a couple of hundred people, dealing with all those personalities, um, dealing with five staff, traveling for talks, writing a book, doing a little bit on TV. There was a lot of moving parts. And then a Friday night would come and I'd be saying, oh, I'm excited for the weekend. And I'd go out and get hammered. And it was self-medication. It wasn't excitement. It was stress and overwhelm. But I didn't know how to put a name on it. And so I assumed I just need to go and relax for the weekend. Now, that wasn't obviously relaxation. You just get into this vicious cycle. So uh, when I was 20, maybe 27, I took a year-long break from alcohol completely. And that was useful. I feel I went back to it with a different relationship. I would drink yeah. now, here and there, and it's again everything's intention as we we kind of started with talking about intention am i drinking to escape myself or am i drinking you know to to to, to relax and have a nice time with people and i think it's got its place you know it's it's just yeah. down to how do you yeah. use it are you using yeah. it or is it is, is it using you exactly and it can be you can do that with anything you know that you know if i'm trying to fill in in a void you know can use drink drugs or figaro's like you know whatever <laughs> will kind of you know, and it's that that sense of escape and social lubricant that it, that it was. And yeah, for me, like when I was younger, um, you know, drink wasn't my problem. It was my solution. You know, life was my problem. I couldn't deal with, you know, simple things, you know, people like being paying bills and relationships or, you know, just a simple bait of school, you know, work, work relationships with my boss, whatever. Like all this stuff, all these things used to stress me out. And then when I took, when I drank, I just felt the sense of, escape and relief and yeah yeah it might be a problem but i'll look after it tomorrow i just want to get out 
of the madness of my life. Like, you know, and then when I, when I stopped drinking, you know, being able to kind of replace that connection with like with nature, like, you know, when I find getting going for walks, maybe in the woods or getting into the sea or looking and connecting with the stars is is something that uh, it was like I lost this connection when I was a kid. Then I connected to alcohol and then I got reintroduced to that natural connection that I had. And I just seemed to go off and just go off path with, with, with the drink, like, you know, and being able to do all these basic things. Like, I was, I was one of these kids, like, I was like, did, did they send around instruction manuals, like, how to deal with your emotions or how to deal with anxieties or how to maintain relationships? Like, I didn't know. I thought, like, they got sent around like phone books did. Like, you know, I just, I never, they never came to my house, like, you know. And, uh, you know, and I remember when I was like, younger, I remember sitting in the pub with all the lads. And uh, one of the lads came in late and he was like, I was in the park with my ma, we were just walking around and we were talking for an hour. And I remember thinking, he was like, what the fuck do you talk to your ma about for an hour? Like, you know, <laughs> I had no way to like, have relationships like that, you know what I mean? Uh, like, we just, I just could never code, you know, and it wasn't until I came into, into recovery that I was able to actually able to maintain and have relationships like this. And we talked about at the start, you know, being able to listen and be there and be reliable and you know just just to show up and be and be present like you know again i think it's this kind of thing of how narrow is my picture of how the world needs to look for me to be happy because yeah. if i need my relationship to always be plain sailing for me to be happy then when my partner presents a problem i'll try to fix it straight away because it goes beyond my kind of way of how it should be yeah. whereas if i can widen that perspective and I can find appreciation in difficult moments and I can allow myself to feel more emotions and I can have goals, but not be attached to my goals. Um, the bigger you can make this picture and the less conditional you can make your acceptance of yourself. I think that's kind of what we're all trying to work on. Um, I use an analogy of a kid at Christmas and I say, right, if there's two kids and one of them asks Santa for a surprise and the other asks for 10 specific gifts, the one that asks for the specifics might get eight of them. But of course, their focus is on the two that they didn't get. Yeah. Whereas the one that asks for the surprise is just grateful for the surprise. And if maybe they said that a surprise or a PlayStation, then if they get the PlayStation, they're happier again. So for ourselves, a lot of us have got these conditions set up where I need 100 things to be happy. And maybe life has given me 99% of them, but obviously negativity bias sends me to the one that's not working. And my my awareness turns to attention and stress is not far behind. So yeah, it's, just, it's just that check it, checking ourselves, I think, frequently. Um, what's work, What's working, you know? Yeah, true. So I want to ask, try and ask you uh, a kind of questions a bit deep. So, what's your uh, what's your conception of spirituality? Um, your personal conception. Oh man, I'm probably not going to be great on these questions. You know, I I just want to find flow states as frequently as possible, where my mind um, shuts up <laughs> and I can yeah, be yeah. as present as possible, whether that's jujitsu or that's being with a partner, you know, whatever that might be, it's it's flow state for me. I think that's beautiful. I'm the, I'm the exact same. Like you know, just being in the present moment. Like you know, and uh, not intellectualizing. And for me, I suppose my higher power would be like to see. You know what I mean? When I get in the sea, I feel that connection. I'm just in the present moment. I'm just in the now and in that flow state. Like you know, and uh, I think uh, Carl Jung talks about, you know, being being creative like a, a kid again, you know, when you're just in the present moment and it's it's just pure consciousness, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, I love that. Like, Just the same thing, right? Your judgments disappear, your stories about how it's supposed to be just disappears so you can just appreciate everything that's there. 
Yeah, and it's, I don't know if it's just the way society is now. We live a lot more in our minds. Like Edgar Tall talks about our minds just being a primal tool to find and solve problems. And now we depend on it as if it's us, like, you know, and and then what I found over, you, you talk about self-inquiry, that I, I had to learn that I am not my mind, you know, my mind is just a tool, and, and that when I'm going through anxiety or hard times, it's, it's just my mind experiencing, and I'm, I just had to learn to detach and observe it, as if you're stepping out of your body and looking back in, like, you know, and I found that being a massive help, like. Yeah, it's that analogy, um, they'll say, if I have a broken arm, I don't denounce that I am a broken arm, I have an, a broken arm, but if we experience anxiety, we'll say, I'm anxious, and we let it completely take over us. So rather than I'm anxious or I'm overwhelmed or I'm a failure, a part of me has failed. A part of me feels anxious. Um, you know, it, it's again, moving away from identification to awareness. Uh, and that just kind of eases the suffering. Yeah. So my, my last question to you, Pat, Pat is uh, what is happiness and are you happy? Um, what is happiness, Jesus? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, should, I should have just asked you. So, what's uh, what's your horoscope? <laughs> easy one to finish it. Happiness is a result of meaning. Um, when you find meaning in your life, happiness is a byproduct. So, when you chase happiness, you're always chasing. You never get there because happiness mm -hmm. can only be in the moment. Um, and so, it's a byproduct of meaning. And I think we find meaning through work that makes a difference for for, for people and for ourselves. It comes from appreciation of nature and other, you know, people. And um, it comes from, you know, this is kind of quoting Viktor Frankl, but Viktor Frankl talks about, I'll finish on, the, uh, on this actually, it's, it's a little bit of a long-winded point, but it made a lot of sense to me. Um, Viktor Frankl wrote Man's Search for Meaning, obviously a very famous book. And mm -hmm. it's amazing because he wrote, tw well, I think he wrote, did he write over 30 books? He wrote over 30 books, and that was the one book he was going to publish anonymously. Um, because he didn't want any notoriety for it. He didn't need any approval. He just wanted to make a difference. And he sold 12 million copies. That was his best-selling book, the one that he was going to release anonymously. But he had looked at the different schools of psychotherapy. And Sigmund Freud had been the first Viennese school of psychotherapy. And he was obsessed with the idea that we should seek pleasure and avoid pain. So it was always do what's easy, instant gratification, um, fix yourself by getting away from your pain. And then Alfred Adler came along, second school of Viennese psychotherapy, said, no, it's about power. He said, we've all got an inferiority complex and we should try to get power and dominance over other people. That's where we find meaning and happiness in life. Uh, or that's where we find happiness, sorry. And then Viktor Frankl came along. He says, no, it's not about pleasure, not about power. It's about meaning. He says, you need meaning for sustainable happiness and you can't chase happiness in itself. But they say that these three will mirror how we should develop. So like a child will seek pleasure and pain or avoid pain. And then an adolescent will seek this power and this external validation. But then the maturity to an adult and being a you know, grounded adult is about meaning. How do I find meaning? And um, again, for me in my teens, I was chasing, ex or sorry, in my, in my 20s even, I was chasing external validation. I was trying to always escape my pain. And it wasn't until I really focused on meaning that I found happiness. Um, so that's my long-winded answer. And I, I am happy to answer your question. I am happy. Beautiful, beautiful part. I love it. So are you going to get a sea dip in today? I am indeed. I'm actually going to go, as soon as we wrap up here, I'm going to go get a sea dip and then uh, got a couple of calls and stuff on tonight. So it's a busy week and it's, um, I just find the busier things get, the more essential these non-negotiables become because it's easy to let that stuff 
drip fall off you know the self-care stuff but yeah not good yeah <laughs> i've never heard that one about meditation you know if you, you should meditate for five minutes a day unless you're very very busy and then in that case you need to meditate for 20 minutes a day I, I call it the base, right? So your self-care principles are your base. And if life gets hectic and life gets crazy and there's no base being established, it's hard. You start to crumble. Yeah, but if you have yeah. a solid base through your self-care, you're ready for whatever. Yeah, I remember this analogy, you know, it's like the it's like the, the, the pigs and the wolf, you know, the, the three pigs. One house is made of straw, one house is made of sticks, one house is made of bricks, you know, and that's like our... You know, you talk about the, the negotiables, you know, that's like our, our meditation, our routines, the, the well-being, you know, and that, that wolf can be just the challenges that life brings, you know, when that wolf comes blowing the straw house, that straw house is gone. But when that wolf comes uh, blowing that brick house and that brick house could be made up of meditation, could be made up of doing self-work, you know, uh, good, good, good kind of boundaries. Um, you know the good stress uh, management of stress you know these sort of things and that house is made of bricks and that house isn't going anywhere when the challenges come along Class. I like it sorry Pat just uh, one last question just yeah. just that you mentioned it what are your non-negotiables I keep it simple um, for me it's just I do transcendental meditation so that's two 20 minute sessions a day and I get a sea swim at least five days a week um, that's kind of as simple as it gets. And I do a pint of water with a pinch of salt first thing in the morning. For me, I went through phases. I used to have no structure and then I went too structured and then I went back to no structure. So I just need to find the middle ground. I'll find if I do the meditation, I do the sea swim and I do the pint of water. That gives me a good base. And then off that back of that base, I'll tend to. Okay, the salt in the water. I never tried that. Yeah, it's an easy one. You're just at your most dehydrated when you wake up. So that helps you retain a bit more of the water and uh, you get your electrolytes in. I suppose I, I, I do study for two to three hours a day, but I wouldn't really. That, that's just been happening for so long. It doesn't really enter my mind as something what, that I have to do. Would you study it in the Pacific or just? Oh, a million different things. I mean, I studied logotherapy for there for a while, existential analysis, analysis attachment theory, meditation teacher trainings, uh, Qigong. Um, just just kind of what I, I just go through phases myself and Josh Connolly were on last week laughing we were saying the two of us are just we get on something for a few months and we're like oh this is this is the answer this is all we'll ever need and then we find something new so just just anything that I'm kind of do you know what's important I think I think it's important um and kind of gets overlooked that like there's certain subjects we learn in school and then there's what we choose to do in college if we go to college or we do a trade or whatever it might be and we kind of see that as what we need to learn but then there's so many aspects of life that we want to improve, but we it never dawns on us that we can improve upon them. Like communication was something that I found, like the listening thing I found difficult to, to be an empathetic listener. And that sounds crazy to have to say that, but so I'll go and I'll study that. I'm like, where are my gaps in terms of like how I could show up better? And I'll I study it. And, and so thought, like, when you say you're studying, like do you just like, do this research yourself, like go online, go down these rabbit holes and just, like rather than going like through the 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 the, the sort of the standard way going through college, like would you kind of just study yourself, like out looking up the stuff online? Yeah, I mean, everything. That's the beauty of the way things are at the moment is there's obviously you know access to so much. So just books and courses and coaches and mentors and masterminds. And um, I did a master's in exercise and nutrition science when I was younger, and that was the last time I was in official academia. But I've done a couple of diplomas and stuff since. But um, I, I almost went back to study psychology there in January, but um, it was just going to take up too much time, and I felt like the practical stuff is in the stuff that I'm studying. So. I love um, that. 
But yeah, it's just, you know, Jim, Jim Rohn, the old motivational speaker, used to talk about that years ago. And he said, um, if you could give an hour a day to something you're interested in, after a year, you've done nine 40-hour work weeks in that subject. So, you know, you could start with something broad, but let's say you're a coach and you decide, okay, I want to be a coach um, that focuses specifically on happiness. If you were to study happiness an hour a day for the next year, there's nine 40-hour work weeks. Like that's, you've read that over five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you're a different person. So it's it's just prioritizing that stuff. Again, easy to do, easy not to do. But again, I think we, we talked about values earlier on the podcast. I think the stuff that you're studying, I mean, I think everyone could be excited about study. I hated school. I didn't think I was academic, didn't think I was clever or smart. But in retrospect, I just wasn't interested in and didn't value the stuff I was studying. Whereas now, at least three hours a day, every day. Um, I love that. It's yeah. Me. It's, you know, it's mad. It's mad how things change. Like, you know, we got, it was like the other day, um, you know, I was like, oh, will I stay up for that McGregor fight? And I was like, no, I just want to kind of, I bought an Easter egg, I had a bottle of sparkling water and was in bed with my book by nine o'clock. <laughs> and I'm like, how things have changed. I'm like, you know, um, yeah, it's crazy. Pat, it's been an absolute pleasure. And like, like I said, look, I was an absolute fanboy having you on the podcast. Like, you know, uh, getting the butterflies. I feel like a 15-year-old meeting this crush, you know. Uh, so uh, thanks a million, man. I really, really appreciate it. And given like, how busy you are and just taking the time to come come onto the podcast, man, uh, means so much to me. And uh, I look forward to hopefully meeting you someday for a dip. But uh, best of luck with the book. And uh, yeah, thanks a million for coming on, Pat. No, thank you and thank you for doing what you're doing it's um it's brilliant it's brilliant to be getting these messages out and, and just to be having these kind of conversations i think it mirrors how other people can have these conversations because um we take them for granted sometimes but hopefully it shows people you can be open and stuff like that so you're a gent yeah cheers pa enjoy mate. bye